0: Well, good morning, everyone. All right, that's a little bit better. I like that. And why am I getting excited? I have no idea. No, I'm just kidding. All right, okay. Now, you know, last night I was watching the New York Yankees play the New York Mets. And for all of you, you really don't care um, because it's a rivalry that I grew up with. And I even actually liked both teams at once um, back in the 70s and then uh, pulled out in the mid, maybe early 80s because they started talking trash against the New York Yankees and I said, I'm out. So uh, the Mets are no longer on my list. They haven't been on my list for probably about 35 years now. And so it was a rivalry. But last night was a special night because, you know, obviously commemorating and remembering um, 9-11. 20 years ago and the stadium was packed out at Citi Field for the Mets and the Yankees and for New York and everybody together were united together for a common cause that we'll never forget that day, never ever forget that day. But many people were excited. Many were shouting with uh, excitement, putting up their American flags, Coming together in unity, and it, it's an extraordinary day to remember. We'll never forget. When you look back at the actual day, everyone who is least in this room who is remembering at the time uh, that if they were of age to remember of the time, I recall I was in the gym on, um, you know, on a bike, just just kind of just trying to get some cardio in just before seminary class and the TV was right in front of me, and I saw the plane hit the building, and I was like, what in the world just happened? We were all in shock. And it shook us. It shook us to our core. That day was a very difficult day. I was living in Dallas, Texas with my wife and kids, and I was crying because I was thinking about my people up in New York and people who actually were in Stanford, Connecticut that were in the city, Some then might have passed away, I think it was what I heard, from Connecticut going down into the city. So it shook me, it shook all of us. But what happened yesterday in the game was people were shouting and excited about coming together in unity. They were expressing their allegiance to a flag, an allegiance to America. Now, don't take this wrong. You know, for you guys who are super patriotic, but where can our allegiance be to? for Jesus Christ. Are we shook in ourselves? Is Are we shaken in our, in our bodies and our minds and our hearts? Are we shaken so that we can remember the day when Jesus saved us from our sin, when he delivered us from the dead of our sin? I mean, don't get me wrong. What happened on a 9-11 in 2001 was the probably the worst day here in America that we can remember outside of December 7th when, when we, we were attacked at Pearl Harbor. And here, being attacked on our soil was amazing. Amazingly, sh- just we were shook to the core. But how many of us are shook to the core knowing Jesus saved us from our sin? I pray that that would move us to where we can sing and shout in our hearts for Jesus because the warning is God is calling each one of us. As we finish this last sermon sermon series, our last sermon here on warning, the five warnings in Hebrews, I pray that we will not refuse the one who is speaking, who is God. God speaks in many ways and forms. And he can speak through judgments. He can speak through a sound of judgment. He can speak through a voice of a little whisper. He speaks through his word. He speaks through other people who are in Christ. He can even speak through someone who's not in Christ to get a hold of us, to warn us of where we are and how our influence is in the world. When we bear the name of Christian, someone sees how we live, and then the other person who's not in Christ says, hey, wait a minute, aren't you a Christian? Why are you doing what you're doing? And like, yikes. And then we're shook. It's like, ooh, I didn't think that an unbeliever would see what I'm doing. But we're always needing to be shook at our core. When you come here, like Tim said, are we here to worship? Are we already prepared for worship? Did we come here prepared? Did we come here knowing we're gathering together as a people of God? That is so important for us as we think about how when we're shook, How do we maintain in our lives when we're shook? How do we react to it? We've been shaken quite a bit. We're like in a blender right now, being shaken around. We're in our ninja blenders trying to get all of our vitamins from all the different elements that we put in there, all the food and being shaken. But ultimately, as we're shaken, are we being brought to the unshakable faith of Christ? That's what we're going to talk about today, the unshakable faith of Jesus Christ and how we have to look at ourselves, because I hope that we're shook about our sin. I hope that we're shook, because if we're not, something's wrong. If we're not convicted about sin in our lives. Mayday, mayday, Houston, Houston, we have a problem. We have a problem. We all have a problem. And so we have to ask those questions, because it's so important when the warning comes from God and his word, that we have to recognize how important it is for us to be under this unshakable faith. So I ask a couple of questions here. If you had to record yourself for one day, what would you sound like? Wives, don't take this as a suggestion. (laughs) Don't record your husbands. Husbands, don't record your wives. Children, don't record your parents. Stop that now. Don't even get that thought in your head. Because that will really open up the eyes of many of us. Could you imagine? Just just to think on that for a second. Then number two, would you be judgmental, fearful, or (laughs) faith-filled if you had to record yourself? Um, you and I can all answer that question alone before God. And I'm sure the wife is nudging right now saying, I know which one you are. And, uh, and, and husband, like, I know which one you are. But again, all of that to say, just ask the questioner, what does faith sound like? What does fear sound like? You know, we ask those questions. It's so important for us to recognize. You know, Hebrews 11 says, Chapter 11, verse 1 says this, Now faith is assurance of things hoped for, as we're in the book of Hebrews, the convictions of things not seen. Actually, the word assurance means to look forward to something with confidence that will come to pass. Hope in something. But exactly what? That's the question. The way the Lord wants it to happen or the way that we want it to happen? Uh Uh-oh. (laughs) Uh-oh. See, see, when we fear, is it possible that we are afraid of situations will not turn out the way that we want them to? So we're afraid. And so when God is in control, we're wondering, okay, Lord, I just want to help you. Can I counsel you? Can I talk to you a second? Lord, do you hear me, God? But what does the Bible say? The Bible says, are we to be the listeners or are we to be the ones who speak? See, in the warning today, it's like, do not refuse the one who is speaking who's speaking us or God. See, God is not interested in any counsel because he doesn't need the counsel. God doesn't need our interjections. Now, many would say to look to Moses when God and Moses were together in a relationship. We'll talk about shortly, but Moses would interject and give some counsel to God. But did God really need the counsel, or was he just welcoming Moses in? Because God is in the infinitude, the unlimited, the immutable, the eternality of God, he's not in need of anything, and he doesn't need us. He can get the rocks to cry out praise to him. So we got to watch out, because if he can make a donkey to speak, he can make me to speak. <laughs> and I might equate myself, in some, you know, could be that. <laughs> I don't say the word, but uh, let's just say that sometimes we can be donkeys, you know, and sometimes God has to get a hold of us to speak to us, to challenge us, because we may not listen. And God's, because we can be stubborn. God's not interested in us speaking. But here's what fear can do sometimes. I'll just share a couple of them. and I got an article. It says fear becomes like a prison. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned against the Lord, they immediately covered up. When we fear, we isolate ourselves and hide from God because we're afraid. We're afraid that He may not do what we want him to do. So we hold God into what we call in contempt. We say, God, I don't want to talk to you right now because you're not making things turn out the way that I want them to. Or fear makes us lose focus. Noah had experienced one of the greatest trials on earth with 40 days of rain causing massive flooding. He was told to build an ark to save civilization. He didn't lose focus but it says that, it says in the Scriptures, but Noah found favor in the Lord, walked with God, and did everything the Lord commanded, and was righteous before God. He didn't complain. He didn't question. He simply just went forward and said, I will focus on the Lord. He was obedient to the Lord. sure he was afraid, but the Bible didn't seem to say that. And it didn't say, fear not, for I'm with you. God didn't say, fear not, for I'm with you, because it seemed like Noah knew that God was with him. He was willing to obey when the others were saying they were laughing at him. Or fear makes us listen to the outside influence. When Moses passed away, Joshua was commanded by God to lead his people to the promised land. He didn't listen to the outside voices of doubts and concern. He was a young man, and God said, and God made it very clear to him in Joshua 1:5, it says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I am have been with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. So God is speaking. He just needed to listen to it, and he did, and he believed God. And when he believed God and obeyed him, he took charge and led God's people because God said, I'll be with you. See, when God speaks, what are we hearing? Are we hearing, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will always be with you. I have a plan for your life. Do you and I, in that statement, hear the I or the you? Watch out now, watch. Do we hear the I or the you? Who's the I in the subject? Who's the you? So you gotta be careful when we hear, I will be with you. We hear the you sometimes more than we hear the I. Because if we know God is with us, we shouldn't fear, right? I mean, 365 times in the Bible it says, do not fear. Each day you have one, you and I have one. We have a command that says, do not fear. So as we look at these warnings and we continue, we finish up, and we say that Hebrews chapter 12, we're in chapter 12, and we're looking at verses 18 and through 29, but as quickly as we can. Let's just look look to that and see what are we doing? You know, what is it that we want to hear? What is it that we're trying to understand in this last warning? What have we heard so far? We heard in chapter two, do not drift away. Do not drift away from the Lord. Do not not neglect or escape this wonderful, great salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Or it says in chapter 3, do not harden your heart against God, but remember the day, remember the day, and to be encouraged, encourage one another for the day that God has given us. Do not be dull of hearing, don't be an immature believer, be a mature believer. Or 4, do not sin deliberately, do not sin deliberately. And then we need to continue to draw close to God, believe in, the, in his faithfulness, and to gather together, never, never trying to forsake or the assembling or desert, the assembling of people together, the body of Christ. So we're called to all of that. So we, we, we have to understand because the unknown is around us. It's haunting us. Are we shaking by the circumstances in our lives? Do we begin to doubt the Lord and his presence in our lives? When we are shaken by the circumstances, do we believe God is shaken by them? Was God shaken 20 years ago when all that happened? Was God like, wow, wow, wow boy, I didn't see that coming. Whew. Boy, that, that was, ooh, man. Hey, uh, Jesus, did you see that? No, Father, I didn't see that. Holy Spirit, did you see that? uh uh-uh, I didn't see that. I didn't know what I was I didn't think these guys were going to go that crazy. <laughs> These two, where, where did those planes come from? Anybody see those planes where they come from? No, God's not mistaken. And he, he, he's not shaken. We live and we understand that we have an unshakable faith because we live for an unshakable God and an unshakable kingdom. We live in a theocratic government because we're under that. We're not under a democratic government. We're under a theocratic government. As a people of God, chosen by God, we're under a theocratic government. That's so important for us to have that perspective because then when we do that, we understand that he's the one in whom we look to. He is our God. He's the one where in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, before we look at this whole passage, therefore, since we've been surrounded by such a great a cloud of witnesses, what we know in chapter 11 of Hebrews in the fame, the hall of fame, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It's done. The unshakable faith is a convincing faith because it's an orthodoxy, the content of faith, and when we place our faith in the one who's established our faith, then we can get through anything when we're shaken we live for an unshakable God with an unshakable faith. And now with the unshakable kingdom, no matter what comes our way, we know we can stand firm in the Lord. That's what we have to do. We have to understand. But God, he's saying, I'm speaking. Are you listening? Don't refuse me because he's the one who's speaking. So with this unshakable faith, our our unshakable faith, we're going to look at a couple of things here. Our, Our unshakable faith, our faith is unshakable because... There's no condemnation in Christ. This is important. There's no condemnation in Christ. So when you and I sin, when we, you and I fall, God is not there to condemn us. Just listen to me. God is not there to condemn you. Why? Because he's already taken care of it through his son. Sin separates us from God's presence. But now Jesus, who is now the propitiation for our sin, who stepped in as our substitutionary atonement. We have to understand that theologically, that he stepped in in the Holy of Holies. He came and he was sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat. He shed his blood for all time. No longer do offerings have to be made before Almighty God. Now it's Jesus. And we have placed our trust in Jesus. He has forgiven us of our sin. We have peace and joy and assurance of eternal life. And as we do, we now can approach his throne knowing he doesn't condemn us anymore. But how about us? Do we feel condemned at times? See, this is what the author is doing. He's trying to highlight what is going on. Why is he writing? Why is he writing these warnings and hides it's so important? Because those who were in the Old Testament, they felt condemned. They were afraid of God. They didn't want to go in his presence. There was a fear, which is true. We should be, we should see an awe and reverence of God. But God has made a way for us now to enter into his presence with confidence and boldness to the throne of what? The throne of what? Grace, right? So we have the throne of grace. And so to throw in a grace, that means you and I don't deserve to be there. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. All right. So, so we don't deserve to be there, but God is saying, you know what? I welcome you because of my son. So it's not about us. It's about what Christ has done for us. But it's not what he's done for us. It's what he's done for himself. Now, we're His servant. We're to be used of him to carry out the plan of God. So we got to get that theology in us. Don't look at me and say, theology, oh, it's like like sucking on a lemon, you know? No, just... no theology is good because it's established, and we can stand on it. It's unshakable, baby, because when we're shaking, we can say, no, theology. Whew, thank you, Lord. Whew, I'm feeling good now. Okay. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Because that's when we think about Christology or we think about pneumatology, those are really great words because it's systematic theology that we can hold on to. It carries us. And y'all look at me saying, what in the world is he talking about? But I want to tell you, amen, amen, right? Because pneumatology is the study of the Holy Spirit. Christology is the study of Christ. And we have to understand those are important. ecclesiology is the study of the church. The Christian church, the church that's established in Jesus Christ, the son of God. And when we're writing, we're understanding that we have to see that's what the author is doing. He's writing against us. Remember from the first sermon I said he was writing against those who were in mystic- mysticism, who were looking to angelology, who were looking for angels to connect with God. And here was the author saying, wait a minute, there's just Jesus. They're saying, no, this Jesus was human. They said, no, no, this Jesus is deity. He's God. He's 100% man, 100% God. The Church of Chalcedon in 450, they they determined that, but there was an argument throughout the church, throughout the beginning, with the church fathers. They were establishing what we call the canon scripture and establishing who Jesus Christ is. I get excited about that stuff because it's it's a foundation. It's unshakable. And here is why now I'm spending so much time on this, I gotta get into this now because I'm so excited. Hebrews 12, 18 through 20, read with me. It says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of the trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. Let me stop there. This is the episode that I'm going to talk about in Exodus chapter 19. Now, the episode is when the giving of the Ten Commandments, Moses on Mount Sinai, and he says, Moses on Mount Sinai, the people are below, and God is speaking, and he's shaking the grounds because of his presence. The smoke that was coming was his presence. By cloud, he would go through the day and a fire at night to lead in his presence and his people. So he makes mention, but as the people were hearing about the judgments, they said, please, we don't want to hear anymore.'" I don't want to hear anymore. I, don't, I know there's sounds. It says there's, a, look, look at the words. It goes, there's are sounds. There's a voice, like a sound of a trumpet, a voice. And who made the hearers beg. Now, let me just give you a little, the word beg there is the same word for refuse. Now the word beg means to ask, request. The word refuse means to reject, to deny. Now, euphemism, if you bring those two together, scholars believe you get the word excuse. Watch now, watch now, because we're begging. I don't want to hear any more of the judgment, because then what happens? I'm accountable. You know, like when the wife is telling the husband, you know, you need to be doing this. And we go into the nothing box and go one ear out there. We don't listen, right? We just kind of say, honey, I didn't hear you. What did you say? What what did you say? We use an excuse that we didn't hear, because if we hear it, then we're accountable, so we just say, "Honey, I- I'm sorry. I was watching the football game." Or when you know what, you know, husband, the same thing. You're trying to talk to your wife. You're bearing your heart because usually men we're not very, you know, too emotional, opening up. But we want to talk sometimes, and the wife is trying to do six things at once, and doing, and then you're like, "Are you listening to me?" Uh, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm listening to you." Now, maybe you have the ability to do that, but sometimes you think you do, but you really don't. And the wife is sitting there struggling. I think I heard you, but I'm not sure. But sometimes they don't want to hear the blah, 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 blah. Why? Because then they'll be accountable. And so we use that excuse. But with us, with God, when God is speaking, are we listening? What do you say? Oh, God, I didn't hear that one. What did you say? I didn't. Oh, was I supposed to do that? Oh, I didn't know. Oh, that's in your word? I uh, haven't been there yet. Okay, well, hold on a second. God's saying, I clearly said it in my word. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear See, when we don't read the word of God, we don't think we're accountable. <laughs> right? So we excuse it. I didn't know. I didn't never read that before. But we're still accountable. We're still accountable. Right? Because why? Who says we're accountable? Did I say we're, we're accountable? No, I'm, one of, I'm sitting there with you saying, please, Lord, have mercy on me. God is saying we're accountable. Watch out now, because we're accountable to what God says in his word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, because if you bear the name of Christ, you and I, who have the Holy Spirit in us, we're accountable, right? Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, not as confident, though, because you all, you know, (laughs) amen. Okay, all right, okay. So now, we have this, now this just trembling, and this thing is going on. So he goes on, he goes on to say this, for they could not endure the order that was given, even... A beast touches the mountain. It shall be stoned. Wow. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Let me tell you where it comes from. It's coming from chapter 19, verses 16 through 19. It says, on the morning of the third day were thunder and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, the presence of God in a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. They weren't to touch the mountain. They took their stand. He gathered all these people. But Moses was with God because he could approach God because God allowed him to be in his presence. He had a relationship with them. And it goes on this. It says, "Now, now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke of it went up like smoke of the kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. The whole mountain was shook. It was shaking And they were shaken. And it goes out, it goes, and as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. So God spoke. Moses spoke to God. God spoke to Moses. Moses was able to approach God and God was able to speak because he was the mediator. Moses was the mediator. Remember in chapter three, he's the mediator. Moses, but yet Jesus is greater than Moses, more superior than Moses, but he's the mediator. We're gonna see that in a second. So then it goes in verse 18 of chapter 20, after the giving of the Ten Commandments, it says this, it says, now when all the people saw the thundering flashes and lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, again, all of this God speaking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood afar off and said to Moses, you speak to us, we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. How about us? Are we that afraid of God or do we fear the Lord? Do we do that to him saying, well, Lord, you know what? I'm not sure if I can be in your presence. I don't know, Lord. I'm afraid if you see this sin, well, he already sees it. But if if you see this sin, Lord, I don't know if you're going to receive me. But the Bible says if you confess your sin, he is faithful, just, will forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So he's given us that opportunity to approach him. The thing is, do we have a problem with that? Do we have a problem with doing that? When God speaks... And we respond, do we have a problem with confessing our sin? I say we do sometimes. I think it's difficult to see ourselves and to question that. Because this was the episode in Mount Sinai. Now we're going to talk about a Mount Zion in just a minute. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you. That you fear him may be before you that you may not sin. That's the warning. So the fear is not to catch us and get us out, but it is to ultimately test us and help us to walk with the Lord. So he says, the people stood far off when Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. I mean, Moses drew near, they didn't. So it's important we understand there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, none at all. So it's important for us. And number two, Yo, I'm sorry, number two, this, this thing, that remember, God doesn't set up for failure, but for freedom. God wants to set us free. He's not saying that when you, we go before Him, He's going to judge us. He's going to call all our sin out. No, He wants to set us free from our sin. See, when, when God shakes things up, we shouldn't be shaken. That's where, I think, is the litmus test. If we truly are an unshakable faith, when God shakes things up, even in the testing, We are not shaken. Why? Because we're grounded in the unshakable faith of Christ. Number three, when when God speaks, it's not condemning voice. It's a comforting voice. God is... Working out, he's comforting us through the struggle, through the trial, through the heartache, through the pain, through our sin, through the struggle of a pattern of sin in our lives. That if we're shaken through that, that's a good thing. I mean, hopefully it's conviction. Now we take our shakenness and say, God, I'm coming before the unshakable God with your unshakable faith. Change me, God. Conform me to the image of Christ. I know you're not here to condemn me. I know you're here to comfort me through this trial. And when he does, we work through it. And when we work through it, we can share with others. And when God sets us free, we can help others be set free. So when someone comes to me and and they're saying, I'm hurting, I said, I know where you're at. I've been there. Still there, done that, still struggling with it. (laughs) Because it's a work in me as God is working in me, is working in you. Okay, the number of things our faith is shaken because there is confidence in Christ. Look, let's look here. Confidence in Christ. Confidence. Hebrews chapter twelve, verses twenty-two through twenty-four. But you have come to Mount Sinai. Now, now, remember, verse eighteen says, "But you have not come." Now, in verse twenty-two says, "But you have come to." So, there's a contrast between verse 18 and verse 22. So, 18 through 21 is part of a passage and part of, of, of a subject matter. Now we have 22 through 24 that talks about, but you have come to Mount Sinai and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festival gathering, and to the assembling of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of. Let me just read this through. And it says, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator, not Moses anymore, but Jesus, the mediator of the what? The new covenant, not Moses of the old covenant in the Old Testament. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And Abel's mentioned even in chapter 11, how he's commended by God in his faith. But even the blood that was crying out of Abel could not be suffice to compare to Jesus in the blood of Christ. And so we understand, but let's look back. How do we know? How can we be confident that right now that Jesus is the one? Well, look, you look at the word come. That word is in the passive in Greek. And what that simply means is that it means to come towards, to move towards, to approach. See, in the Old Testament, they were afraid. You saw that in Exodus. They were afraid to approach God. They said, hey, Moses, you step in for us. Now the author is saying, you no longer need a Moses, you got Jesus. Jesus is the one who mediate for you. Now you can come. Now you can approach. It's already established. The passive means it's already established. All you got to do is come. And when you come, you bear your heart, you confess your sin, you're no longer condemned. Now you have a confidence that Jesus will receive you. So when he sees your sin, not if he sees your sin, but when he sees your sin, when he sees all of our sin, he receives us. It's established faith. And that's where this whole talk about the Arminius and the Calvinist and the apostate, it's established. It's established. God is established. It's eternal security. We may not feel like it. We may sometimes try to escape from God or drift away, but it's established. Let me give you another one that's established. It goes on. It says this where it says, and in verse 23, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. The word enrolled is passive. We understand that we, our names are written in the book, in the, book the, the, the last part of the written in the book of life. And God has enrolled us. He's registered us in. Because of who? Not because of us, but because of Jesus. It's not based on us. It's based on Jesus. That our confidence is what Jesus did on the cross for our sins. So again, it's it's that confidence of knowing that God has established us. So if we seem to drift away or we harden our heart a little bit, God's trying to bring us back. So the trial and the difficulty and the tribulation is to bring you back. It's not to isolate you or to call you out or to point out your faults or to condemn you. See, God allows trials in our lives to draw us back. He does. He allows those because he's trying to knock on the door of our heart. He's like, hey, did you forget about me? I'm Jesus who saved you from your sin. I'm allowing some things. I'm shaking things up right now because you know why? I need to get you back to the unshakable faith. Don't focus on the shakable kingdom that's created but yet removed by me because at the end I'm going to remove it all. I'm right here. Come on back. I love you. I receive you. I'm allowing this for a purpose. It might even be a test. Testing, one, two, three, testing. And God is doing that. He's establishing us. And then lastly, it says this, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Now, the word perfect is in the perfect tense. That means made perfect. You got to understand something about justification, sanctification, and glorification, all right? The three phases of salvation. Justification is declared righteous, Glorification is made righteous. In our position, sanctified in our position, we're progressing toward being made righteous. You know when you and I are made righteous? When well, we're in his presence. Because <laughs> we're already enrolled. We can come into his presence and we're made perfect because God has us in. It's already locked in. But the question is, will we draw near to him like it says in chapter 10, remember? Let us draw near with the approach, come to him. That's all he's asking us to do. So the warning is, hey, if you drifted away, come to me. Don't refuse the one who's speaking. I'm speaking. You need to listen. And so that's where that confidence is. See, we have to understand this. That God doesn't set us up to be fearful, but faithful. He's not there to condemn us. He doesn't want us to be fearful. He doesn't want us to be afraid of him. He wants us to draw close to him. He loves us. He's applauding for us. He's carrying us through the trial. He's saying, trust me, I'm a safe place. I will listen to your heart, but listen to my voice because I want to carry you through. I want to conform you to my son. Stop being stubborn and refusing me and getting away. Come to me. I didn't call you to be fearful or be afraid of me. I called you to be faithful to me. And to carry out that faithful word because I'm an unshakable God with an unshakable faith offered to you, my son, Jesus. He offered us Jesus. And so we need to be in his presence. People, I'm going to tell you something. If we don't get it right now, how many more warnings do we need in our lives? How many more warnings do you got? Do we have enough now? 18, 19 months of a warning. What are they going to do now? It's getting closer towards the end. We need to understand God's calling us. When, when, when we know God is not out to confuse us, I think then we will not refuse Him. We will not refuse Him. The last part of this passage is really simply this: in Hebrews chapter twelve twenty-five to twenty-seven, it says, "See that you do not refuse Him who is speaking, for they did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on earth." much less we will escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Now, you got to understand something here because there's, there's this kind of contrast going on. And he goes on in verse 26. He says, At the time his voice shook the earth, he now has promised, Yet once more I will not only shake the earth, but also the heavens. That's the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem he's talking about in the future. And then he goes, verse 27 this phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. So I'm about a shakable kingdom, created, all the things that are created, all the things we can touch, the visible versus the invisible, the unshakable kingdom. I think, I think the author wrote that in chapter 11. <laughs> he wrote in chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, talked about that. And you and I have to understand that he's talking about the end. He's talking about the end. This is what the whole passage is saying. Old Testament, New Testament, Mount Sinai or Mount Zion. Approach God with fear of condemnation because of the law or approach God with faith and confidence because of grace. Earth, heaven, temporary, permanent, shakable kingdom, unshakable kingdom. Which one do we have today? You and I can come. And as we come, we have the unshakable faith with the unshakable kingdom. God has called us to that. See, when we live in the unshakable faith, when we fear the Lord, not the unknown. When we fear the Lord and not the unknown. When we fear the Lord and not the unknown. See, we live in this unshakable faith established in Christ when we fear the Lord and not the unknown. How many unknowns do we have right now? Many. It has all to do with this, right? (laughs) We're wondering, when are we going to be able to release this? Everybody's wondering. I wonder, 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 wonder who? Mm. Who wrote the mask mandate? You know, right? We just, I mean, like, come on. I mean, that's what we're thinking about all the time. This has become a consumption in our minds, but yet God's saying, will you just fear me? Will you look to me? That's the shakeable kingdom. We're focusing on this. Are we going to focus on the unshakable kingdom? The one whom God says this, you can try to refuse me now. I say that's fine. But you won't be able to refuse me at the end. <laughs> because if your name is not written in the book of life, you will be judged. You and I will be judged at the beam of seat of Christ for what we do for Jesus. Warning, 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 warning. Are you living in the unshakable faith with the unshakable kingdom? Or are you still focused on the shakable kingdom that's going to be removed by God? See, that's what he's saying here. And he's love what the author says at the very end. This just watch me here. He says, therefore, let us, now here's that, let us horatory subjunctive, imperative, be grateful. Be thankful, grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Are you grateful? No, no, are you grateful? Amen. All right, let's shout and sing and shout. We're grateful, right? And thus let us offer now, here's another one, to God acceptable worship with reverence and all. This has nothing to do with how we sing. Okay, why? Because the word means to serve. Acceptable manner means in the way in which we serve the way in which we live our lives. Are we living like we're refusing God? Or are we living like we're going to obey God? Because if we refuse him now, we won't be able to refuse him later. And if we refuse him now in Christ, there's going to be a judgment either way. So what are we going to do? Are we going to live for Jesus? Are we going to live acceptable worship, serving with reverence and awe, the fear of the Lord? Or are we going to continue on living like we have, we're afraid of God? See, remember, when we're afraid of God it's because we're afraid he's not gonna let things turn out the way we want them to. But when we fear the Lord in reverence and awe, then we're saying, Lord, your will be done in my life no matter what. Because I know there are people who are living like that right now. There are people who are living there right now. Tragedy that has occurred in their lives. Two people in this room that are living that right now. And many of us, too, when we hear of tragedy, we're shaken by someone who has just been diagnosed with cancer or have been or have heard of a loss like the owner at Galatios on La Plata passed away on Monday in a heart attack at 45 years old. Nikita Koloff, myself, and Frank Shelton and his son were in there on Saturday. The last post he made, and I was told by Frank this, the last post he made is of me and Nikita sitting there standing in front of the restaurant. That was his last post on Facebook before he died. He was a a believer. He went to a church nearby in our local area, and he did a lot for the community, and the Lord decided to take him. That shook their family. It shook a community. How much more? We need to be shaken sometimes in order to get back to the unshakable faith of Christ. I wanna encourage you today. What is it that God needs to shake in your life and in my life to get us, get us intact? In, in Let's pray. Father, thank you. We need you to return us back to the unshakable kingdom. Please help us to stop refusing you. Help us to stop being focused focused on ourselves, and help us to be focused on you. You've established an amazing faith through your son. We have no longer any condemnation as we are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. And Lord, we can come to you, the Bible says, with great confidence to the throne of grace. And God, we're so grateful that we have that confidence because of what you've established in us. It's none of us, it's all you. So Lord, help us to be established and walking in the unshakable faith. God, we love you. May our hearts be drawn to you this week. May we return to the Word of God. May we return to prayer. May we return to sharing Christ with others. May we return to be praying for others. May we return to be in community with others through life groups. Gone through all of the different things that we did, we'd be praying for each other. God, may you establish our church once again for your honor, your glory. It's your church your kingdom, your word, your message, your gospel. It's all yours. Just help us to be good stewards because we're called and we bear the name of Jesus for your purpose, for your glory, for your plan, for your honor. God, we pray today that you would challenge us today. In Jesus' name, amen.